I want you to look at Matthew, please. I'll talk about a subject this morning that I know absolutely nothing about. And you don't either, so we're just going to talk about it. Matthew 18, beginning with verse 1. If I had a title, the title would be simply this, Little Ones, Little Ones. Verse 1, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Sound like us, doesn't it? <laughs> and Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off. And cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye? If a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? 
And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. And even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Little ones. In order to go about trying to find out something about the subject, I read some things. And I'm going to try to talk to you about humility, something I said I know nothing about and you don't either. And if you know anything about it, you don't have it. These disciples came to the Lord and they said, Lord, who's the greatest? That's man's constant question. Men never ask, Lord, who is the smallest one? No, they won't know who is the greatest. And men brag on men. And the man who is the receiver of this adulation becomes more vain and puffed up and begins to think, what did God do before I came along? And all who teach a free will religion are in that category. To elevate man's will above God's will is to be asking all the time, who's the greatest, man or God? And so men have the idea that man is the greatest. What is humility? I don't know, you don't know. Webster gave us a definition, but I don't like it. He said it's the quality or state of being humble. Well, that doesn't help any, does it? That didn't tell us a thing about it. He didn't know anything about it. So I thought perhaps humiliating, let's use that word, humiliating carries a better definition. And he did pretty good on that one. He said, extremely destructive to one's self-respect or dignity. Humiliating. Can I tell you something just real honest? Until you're humiliated, you'll never be saved. <laughs> you're going to have to be humiliated. That is, things are going to have to destroy your self-respect and your dignity before you ever going to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, our Lord gives us the real definition. He's a lot better than Mr. Webster. He defines humility in those two words, little ones. Little ones. Well, who are these little ones? And the question is, are you one of the little ones of the Lord? The little ones. Verse 14, we have that expression in our text. 
Even so, it's not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Verse 10, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. And so we have to find out who these little ones are and whether or not you're one and whether or not I'm one. And if we find out, we'll go away from here greatly profited. These little ones are who? They're the dear children of God. It's not talking here. The Lord brought a, a little child before him, but he was just making a point that you're going to have to become in your thinking of yourself as this little child. He's not teaching child salvation here. But all of these little ones are the dear children of God. What do they do to become children of God? They believe in his dear name and they're washed in his blood. And they become, when they believe and are washed, they become a little one of God. Now they ask him a question there in verse 1. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? There is in the nature of man that which wants to see things which are hidden. That's the nature of children. And even the children of the Lord Jesus Christ sometimes manifest this, wanting to see something which is hidden. Lord, who is the greatest? And it shows their weakness and ignorance. But the Lord Jesus, as he always does, what a compassionate shepherd and friend he is. He didn't rail on them and say, well, you don't know anything and all. You know, that's the way we react. But the Lord Jesus Christ never reacts that way. He's a compassionate shepherd and friend. And so in verse 2, when they asked the question, he called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. What an humbling reproof to their question. And in verse 3, he said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children. You're going to have to become just as a little child in your thinking, in your self, your thinking of, of what you are. You have to become a little child. So what an humbling reproof to their question. Well, what is this? This is heart conversion, except you be converted. He means by this that except you are brought to see your smallness and your nothingness as a child, there's no hope of your entering into heaven. You just can't do it. Going to be brought down. Simon Peter had to be brought to this place. 
I like Bible illustrations. They're a lot better than the ones we get somewhere else. Bible illustrations. Simon Peter. When our Lord Jesus referred to his death and sufferings, Simon Peter seemed willing to suffer and die with him. In fact, he said he would do that. However, as the case is with men, however, when it came right down to it, what was the result? Look at Matthew chapter 26, please. Matthew 26, verse 31. Then said Jesus unto them, Ye shall be offended, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter answered the Lord in verse 33. Peter answered and said unto him, Now though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And our Lord said to him in verse 34, Verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me, Thrice. Oh, what a put down for Simon Peter. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tonight. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And likewise also said all the disciples. Then they came to the judgment hall of Christ, and as we studied in the Gospel of John, what happened at the judgment hall? Peter lied and backed his lie with an oath. And I believe Peter really meant it when he told the Lord that he would die with him. Don't you think he meant that? He did. But what are we? Now, this will bring you down. This will make you a little bit smaller. What are we when left to self? What was David when the Lord left him to himself? When he saw that woman over there. What was David? And what was Noah? God delivered him through that flood and immediately on the other side... He made him a little corn whiskey and got drunk and did some unspeakable things. God left him to himself. What about Lot? What happened to him? Righteous Lot was delivered out of Sodom but got up in the mountains and committed incest with his own daughters. God left him to himself. What about Solomon? Wisest man that ever lived. 
He had an eye for every woman that passed by. God left him to himself. What about you and I? If God leaves, he left Peter to himself here. And Peter said, I don't even know the man, and cursed. And you and I are the same way. Now, Peter was regenerate, wasn't he, at that time? Because we know back over in Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus said, Whom do you say that I am? And old Peter spoke up and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord Jesus said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven. He had a revelation. He knew who Christ was. He believed on him. Then when Peter was converted, he was changed in mind, as in our text, except ye be converted, is what the Lord, you see that in the text, except ye be converted and become as little children. Peter was changed. And you and I must have this change. There must be a change in us. And if we are regenerate, we will change. And what this change is, is God bringing his people into a childlike view of being little in their own eyes. This has to do with this word humility. You're not smart, you're dumb. Well, let's get you a preacher. No, not you. You, don't, you know what I'm talking about. You're not smart, you're dumb. You're not strong, you're weak. You're not self-sufficient, you are God-dependent. You're nothing. And when you become that, then he acts on your behalf. You become a little one. God takes you under his wing and acts on your behalf. And this knocks all the foundation out from under all this silly desire to be somebody. To be the Pope, to be the Reverend Doctor, to be the President of the Convention, or even to be a teacher. How can we even think in our minds and hearts that we are capable of teaching the Word of God? Paul said, who's sufficient for these things? Well, I'll tell you who's sufficient. Only little ones who know they're God-dependent can teach the Word of God. And everything else you hear is foolishness. If a person is not God-dependent. When Peter was converted, he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, look over there. Now this was after he was converted, 1 Peter chapter 5. 
and verse 5. <clears throat> Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. Now, this is not the same Peter who said, I'll never be offended in you. I'll die for you. He now knew his own heart. And if you knew your own heart, people say, well, if I know my heart, well, you don't know it. People say, God knows my heart. Well, they're right. He does know your heart. But you and I don't. Peter now knew his own heart. Humility is a God-given view of your own heart where you become a little one. A little one. Here's what one fellow wrote. He said, humility will save you from self-consciousness. It will take away from you the shadow of yourself and the constant sense of your own importance. It'll save you from self-assertion and from thrusting your own personality upon the thoughts and attention of others. It will save you from the desire for display, from being prominent, from occupying the center of the stage, from being the object of observation and attention and having the eyes of the world turned upon you. Humility. There are those who think themselves unworthy, so unworthy of God's notice that if they attempt to pray, they begin to think this is presumptuous to attempt to take his holy name on their polluted lips. Now they do that. They do pray to God, but every time they pray, they're cast so low and become such a little one that they say, who am I to take his name on my lips? Who am I? to even speak his name. Now, God loves these little ones. They're his delight and pleasure. And he said in Luke 14, 11, he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You want to be exalted? There's just one way to be exalted. That's to humble yourself before God. And he'll lift you up. 
And this does not mean that a person of his own strength can, uh, you can't humble yourself. Although you're told to do so, but you cannot do it. You might as well talk of a man building a ladder to heaven as to talk of a man humbling himself or a woman. You just can't do it. The power can come from no one but from God. And there was never a poor soul that was brought little in his own eyes and little in his own strength and little in his own knowledge and little in everything respecting himself. There's never been one but one who was made to feel so by grace. Man cannot humble himself. But God can. And if you become a little one, it's because of God. Grace does it all. Nothing can soften but grace. Oh, grace, grace. Nothing can soften your heart but grace. The terror and wrath of God won't soften anybody's heart. I could preach on hell every sermon from the next, for the next 10 years. That wouldn't soften anybody's heart. But I'm telling you, when the grace of God comes to a heart, that softens that heart. God softens by his grace. And if we're ever brought to experience his grace, what are we going to do? We'll fall humbly at his feet. Lord, I'm not worthy to even be in your thoughts. The ungodly to all eternity will continue in a state of hardness. Anybody hear you hard against God, hard against God's preacher and his truth? Well, if you go on the way you're going, you'll be in that hardness forever and you'll curse God through a never-ending eternity. What a terrible thing to think about. These little ones are all dependent upon grace. David called himself in Psalm 8 a babe and a suckling. <laughs> That's what he thought of himself. He could not move nor speak a word but what he had been taught. And until you and I become a babe we will know nothing the Lord Jesus said I thank thee father of heaven and earth that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and reveal them unto who unto babes wise man why I got an email from a wise man I let Chris read it a while ago he got a pretty good kick out of it this is a very educated man Evidently, he used some words that I never thought about. And he told me in the first part of the email that I was, I was promoting a gospel that was false. And he used a lot of big words and, and uh, I sent a, copy to Don Fortner and he wrote back and he said put it in file 13 so that's where I put it no it's still back there I got it 
he said, you're, you're preaching a false God. Then on the bottom, he said, may the Lord bless you in your endeavors to promote the truth. <laughs> well, anyway, he's not a babe. Man, write a letter like that. He's not, he's somebody. Use all that high-sounding language. That's just junks, all that is. There's a centurion in Luke 7. You familiar with a centurion in Luke 7? Look at Luke 7 just a moment. Boy, this fella had the right attitude. Luke chapter 7. Now when they had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him. He didn't go himself. He sent unto him the elders of the Jews beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. They came and told the Lord about this and said, He loves our nation. You, you might want to do this. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. Oh, I've heard people say, well, yeah, the Lord's welcome in my home anytime, but God's people don't, do not talk like that. I'm not worthy that he should come under my roof. Neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. I'm just not worthy. You just say a word and he'll be healed. For I'm a man under authority, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, another come, and he cometh, and so forth. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled, and he said, I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. I read this. Someone asked a preacher how he could accomplish so much. The preacher answered, this may be why. The Lord looked down from heaven and said, Where can I find the weakest, littlest, meanest man on earth? And then he saw me and he said, I found him. He won't be proud of it. He'll see that I'm using him because of his insignificance. And the only people that God uses are those who are insignificant. In this world. Now, I'll tell you another thing about these little ones. They're not always so steadfastly sure of their state. Sometimes they have doubts. And sometimes there's confusion and sinking. And it becomes like hell in the heart. You ever experience that? Are you always just, boy, I know that I know that I know. No, I'm not always that way. Not always that way. But when that comes, I tell you, it shakes me. I get to thinking, oh, what if I have to spend 
a miserable existence and be lost at last in hell. I get thinking like that. And I tell you, it knocks me off my high horse. And when I get like that, what's my reaction? I have just cried like a baby. And what, what does a child do when he cries? Goes to his parents, his mama, or his father cries like a child for his parents to come to his help. And I always see, now a little one can go and cry to his father. And so I go and cry to him. And you parents see this in your own children. Those babies know that mom and daddy can tell what he feels and make known that he has a want and supply that want. That's the way it is between the little ones and God the Father. You parent, doesn't that touch your heart when a little one comes to you and says, oh, daddy, mama, maybe they've hurt themselves. Look what I've done. That touches your heart, and that's the way it is with God. Did you know it touches his heart when we come to him and say, Father, I've hurt myself. I'm hurt. I tell you, he reached down, take you in his arms, and not one of the little ones, not the feeblest, weakest, emptiest, nor the vilest of all the little ones will ever perish. That's in our text in Matthew 18, verse 14. Here is your assurance, verse 14, even so it's not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Humility, what is it? What is it? Can you just reach out and get some of it? What is it? Little ones. Are you a big one or a little one? Do you receive God's word as a babe? Or do you receive God's word as one who brings the word of God to the bar of human reason, not become a little one? I saw some things on television yesterday. They were telling you ways to prove the word of God. Well, it doesn't have to be proved. And the man was talking about the Ark of the Covenant will be rediscovered and the things in that Ark of the Covenant. He said, no telling how much good those things will do us. No, no. He who came down on that mercy seat will do us good, not things in that Ark of the Covenant. And men are so profane and ignorant of what, what is really real. And I'm glad God has revealed one or two things. Look at 2 Kings chapter 5, and we'll began to wind down here. I don't know what I'm saying really, but I'm trying to say something. 2 Kings chapter 5. You know the story of Damon. 
he came to the to the prophet's little hut and pulled up outside with his all of his gaudy array and his horses, stallions, and pulled up out there and and he said here verse nine, he came with his horses with his chariot, stood at the door of the house of Elisha. What did Elisha do? He sent a little servant boy <laughs> out and said, What do you want? And in verse 11, Naaman got mad and went away and he said, Behold, I thought. That's what his problem was. I thought that prophet will come out to me and stand, call on the name of the Lord and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Well, what was Naaman? He was a great one, a big one. And God's prophet said, go down to the muddy Jordan and dip seven times. And Naaman said, he evidently doesn't know who I am. But in just a little while, with that leprosy all over him, he became in the sight of God and in his own sight as a little one. What did he do when he become, became smaller? He went down to that muddy river and he dipped seven times and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of what? A little child. A little child. And he was clean. You want to be clean before God? Become as a little child, a little one before him. Be teachable. You'll be teachable, a hearer. Here's something else I read. We can qualify as at least beginning to know what humility means if, number one, we're foolish enough to depend upon him for wisdom. Number two, if we're weak enough to be empowered with his strength. Number three, if we're base enough to have no honor but God's honor. Number four, if we are despised enough to be kept in the dust at his feet. And number five, if we are nothing enough for God to be everything, then we begin to understand a little bit about it. Now, I'll use this as a closer. On the back of on the, your bulletin is an article that I wrote, something to put on. And I'm not going to spend long on it. You've already read it, but let me just... One of the chief marks of humility is kindness. Kindness. And if you've read this, fine. Let's read it. Put on, therefore, is the elect of God, holy and beloved, kindness and I said I believe one of the chief marks of God's elect is kindness this has to do with zeal toward another in a good sense also kindness is shown in affection Romans 12 10 be kindly affectioned one to another are you kind are you you get pretty mean sometimes <laughs> Gary, do you? <laughs> I pick on Gary a whole lot. 
Sad to say in some homes, kindness is not evident. The family members, instead of speaking in a soft voice, yell at one another. Y'all do that? Huh? This makes the home an unpleasant place. If the members could realize the profit of a meek and quiet spirit, the difference would be astounding. Lack of kindness shows lack of love. Love suffereth long and is kind, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Now this scripture does not say that love should be kind. It says it is kind. Love is kind. The new nature of God always makes a person kind, and there's no exception. If a person is unkind, it is evident the new nature is not present. Being kind is not a conscious effort, but controls the person as a natural attribute given by God. You don't have to try to be kind. You are kind. There's a brotherly kindness in the church. Do we evident that? Do we show that? A brotherly kindness. Oh, the peace of kindness. Have peace here. Are you a possessor of godliness? Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 7, add to godliness brotherly kindness. Then he said, he that lacketh these things is blind, 1 Peter 1, 9. When I see an unkind person, it's evident to me that he's without sight and has no knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said again, For if these things be in you and abound, you shall not be barren in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If kindness abounds in you, do you yell at one another at home? What about on the job, other places? Do you get mad at people easily? Think of the kindness and love of God our Savior. That's found in Titus 3, 4. If he is kind to such hell-deserving wretches such as you and me, surely we will be kind one to another in all areas of life. Some of the meanest people in the world claim to be religious folks. And I say that's exactly what they are, religious but without a true knowledge of the Lord of kindness. And they are not little ones. Kindness equal humility. Humility equal kindness. Just be kind one to another. Kindly affectioned one to another.